If you would, turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6 as we look at what Paul has to say regarding spiritual battles that we're facing. And, you know, I don't have to tell you, as you look at all that's going on in the world, uh, I think things are increasing intensity and intensity as we see the Lord's return getting closer and closer, and really the start of the seven-year tribulation period. And here's the thing, as tough as things are, I think knowing what's going to happen and knowing what we are to do helps us to know how to walk in victory. You know, if we didn't know any of these things, and all this stuff was coming upon us, wouldn't it be horrifying? And that's what it is for people in this world. They see this stuff, and they're so confused by it. What is happening? And you know what that is? It's called opportunity for us to share with them what is going on in this world, because the Lord has told us. And here's the thing, when we talk about winning in victory, it's not winning some, like winning some sporting event. We are looking at using the spiritual weapons that God has given us and reaching out to a lost and dying world and seeing sinners come to saving faith. That's what this is all about. You know, if we get so overwhelmed with everything that is going on in the world, we're going to lose sight of the lost. But isn't that our main concern? I mean, really, if it wasn't for the, the lost and our mission to reach them, why wouldn't the Lord just take us home as soon as we're saved? Because we don't have any work to do then. But there is work to do, and it's reaching out to those people. Now, the study tonight, and I know this sounds strange when I talked about hope and comfort and all that, but we're talking about a civil war that I believe is taking place that's dividing our nations, our family, and the Church of Jesus Christ. And one of the problems today is that most Christians see these battles as physical battles that have to be won through physical weapons, and that's not at all what Paul's talking about here in Ephesians. And we don't see it even through the rest of the scriptures. This is a spiritual battle that we're fighting. In fact, and I'll touch on what we're going to be looking at this evening. In Ephesians 6.12, Paul said, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So if we are going to stand against the wiles or the schemings of the devil, we better know what our weapons are, the ones that God has given to us, so we can win this war. But we also have to understand the battle we're facing, who the enemy is, and what is happening in this country to divide us, and ultimately... It's going to unite us into a one-world government. And if you don't think this is happening, hopefully by the time we finish up our study this evening, I think you'll understand what's going on. This evening, we're going to be looking at a civil war in regard to the government. And this is a plug for me to come back. Next time, Lord willing, we'll look at a civil war in regard to the family and Lastly, a civil war against the church. And if you look at what's happening today, these institutions, you know who's put them together? God has. God has established government. God has established the family unit. God has established the church and what we're to be about. And look at how that's all perverted today by the devil. And Let me share this with you. This is really about the enemy and the confusion people have sometimes and who this enemy is. It was way back in World War I when World War I broke out. The war ministry in London dispatched a coded message to one of the British outposts in an inaccessible area of Africa. 
And this is what the message read. War declared, arrest all enemy aliens in your district. Okay? The war minister received his prompt reply. Have arrested 10 Germans, 6 Belgians, 4 Frenchmen, 2 Italians, 3 Austrians, and an American. Please advise immediately who we're at war with. Yeah, that is important to know who the battle is against. You see, we tend to think the battle is against, you know, the Democratic Party or the gay and lesbian community or this or that. We have all these ideas who the battle's against. This is a spiritual battle, guys. This is, the battle is not won with physical weapons. It's won on our knees before the Lord, praying, seeking direction. Lord, what would you have us to do? And we're all in this battle. And we all have different roles, but we're all in it. And again, those three main points. If you look at what's going on in our nation today, these are things that the enemy has attacked and has done an amazing job in trying to destroy. The government is the body of the nation, right? Helps us to move. Civil war with the family, that's the heart and soul of the nation. And a civil war in the church, that's the spirit of the nation. And you destroy those three areas and you destroy a nation. And isn't that what we see happening today? I mean, look at the craziness in California. You know, you have more freedom to go to an airport than you do to a church. Why? Because the attack is against the church. They understand that you have to remove Christianity from a nation if you are going to win the battle for socialism and Marxism. You have to destroy it. You, and, you know, you, you, you can't take it away completely, right? So what do you do? You water it down. And we see that happening. But this evening, and I could spend a lot of time on the church, but I won't this evening, it's a civil war that's seen in our government. The body of the nation, like I said, it holds us together. It helps us to move. So let's begin reading Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10. Let's see what the Lord has for this evening as we study his word. Paul wrote this. He said, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles or the schemings of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand. So it's interesting. You know, we're in a spiritual battle. Paul makes that very clear, and we're to stand strong. How? We're to stand strong in the Lord and putting on the armor that God has given us to fight in this battle. And I think the, you know, the scriptures are very clear. These demonic forces are influencing nations, countries, leaders, people. And I know people go, oh, come on, you really believe that? Yeah, I do. In Daniel chapter 10, verses 12 and 13, we see this played out. We're told, as the angel is speaking to Daniel, Then he said to me, do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come because of your words. 
But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. And behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. Now, are these the physical kings? No. One angel wiped out 180, what, 5,000 Assyrians in one night. So it's not a physical. This is a spiritual battle. This is a demonic force over the area of Persia. And Daniel's praying for three weeks full weeks, 21 days, and no answer. And he's mourning over what the Lord had shown him, and now there's no answer from God. What was the problem? It was a spiritual battle. And that spiritual battle prevented this angel from getting to Daniel, and it wasn't until Michael came and assisted in this battle that he was able to complete his mission. Now, Maybe that troubles some of you, but it gives us, hopefully it gives us insight to what's going on behind the scenes. God is lifting the curtain up a little bit and giving us some insight of, of this spiritual warfare that's taken place. And, you know, as John Calvin wrote, whenever the ungodly cause us trouble, they are fighting under the banner of Satan and are his instruments for harassing us. Absolutely. You know, the thing is, we as Christians can also fall prey to that. And we could be used by Satan to accomplish his tasks if we're not wise, if we don't seek the wisdom of God and the direction of God. But let me say this. When you look at our nation over the last, say, five years, have you seen it change? Absolutely. I never thought, and I... I believed in Bible prophecy day one that I got saved. But I have never seen the immorality increase at such an alarming rate as we see today. Good is evil, and evil is good. And our government sanctions these things. And I think about, man, the demonic forces that are over Washington, D.C. Because when you see the immorality that is taking place, the things that they're trying to do, you go, man, something is pulling the strings of these people. And it's true. Leopold put it like this. He said, bad angels called demons in the New Testament are without a doubt referred to here, speaking of what's taking place in Daniel. In the course of time, these demonic powers gained a very strong influence over certain nations and the government of these nations. They became the controlling power. They used whatever resources they could muster to hamper God's work and to thwart his purposes. We get a rare glimpse behind the scene of world history. There are spiritual forces at work that are far in excess of what men who disregard uh, revelation would suppose. They struggle behind the struggles that are written in the pages of history. Absolutely. Now, here's the thing. Can they do anything without God's approval? No. God allows these things. He's told us what's going to happen ahead of time. And I want you to understand the battle because that's really the key to what Paul's talking about here in Ephesians chapter 6. It's a spiritual battle played out through the lives of human beings. And I said we're going to deal with this civil war in our government. But we had another civil war that took place in our nation and was one of our blackest periods. It lasted some four years, and it claimed 620,000 men. Wow. In the end, slavery was abolished, so was it good? 
Yeah, but it took a great cost, right? It divided our nation. And I don't know about you, maybe it's just me, but I see another civil war coming. Look at how they're dividing our nation. They're trying to split us apart. And again, if you divide the nation, it's very difficult for us to function properly then. Make no mistake about it, we are not a perfect nation, but we are one of the greatest nations in the world, or the greatest nation in the world. How many Americans are fleeing to Venezuela today for freedom? We laugh at that, it's the most ridiculous thing, and yet that's what we want here in America. People from all over the world are fleeing to America because they want what we have. And we're losing that. And I think it's, under, it's important for us to understand what this nation was founded under. It was founded under God, not God's. It wasn't founded under religions. It was founded upon Jesus Christ. And like Israel, God was using America to shine his light upon an entire world. Now, people are taken back by that. Oh, come on, we were never a Christian nation. Well, I don't think you've looked at our history. And I know they're trying to rewrite it and remove the things that show that we were a Christian nation. You know, President Obama said several years ago that we are no longer a Christian nation. I believe that's true. But we were. Very much so. You know, if I gave you this date, I would think most, if not all of you, would know what took place. July 4th, 1776. And the place was Philadelphia. And this is when and where the Declaration of Independence was signed. And it was the birth, really, of our nation that was under the true and living God, the God of the Bible. And since that time, America has been, again, one of the greatest nations that's ever existed because we're under God. But we're no, under, no longer under the control of an earthly or almighty God, we're control under an earthly power. You know, the last part of the Declaration of Independence says this. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and for the support of this declaration, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. Wow. Our founding fathers were Christians, in spite of what others may try to tell you. When you read the writings of the Founding Fathers, it blows you away. When you look at the schools, they were Christian schools preparing men. The Ivy League schools were preparing men to go out into the mission field. You won't find any of that today. John Adams, a signer of the Declaration of Independence, wrote to his wife Abigail on the passing of this document. He said, I am well aware of the toil and blood and treasure that it will cost to maintain this declaration and support and defend these states. Yet through all the gloom, I can see the rays of light and glory. I can see that the end is worth more than all the means. I think John Adams was saying to his wife that the light of God's truth is what this nation will be built upon. And we don't see it any longer. Patrick Henry, we know he said, give me liberty or give me death. But he also said, 
It cannot be emphasized too strongly or too often that this great nation was founded not by religionists, but by Christians. Not on religions, plural, but on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you understand that? That that wasn't wishy-washy. That wasn't some God, you know, or, or some religious or all religions. It was Jesus Christ. And we don't hear that today. I've even heard Christians go, oh, you know, they only came here to make money. They were, that's all they came here for was to make a profit. Like, you haven't read why they came here. Were there people that came to do that? I'm sure there were. But you, when you read what our founding fathers wrote, it'll blow you away. This nation was founded upon the Christian faith and upon the gospel of Jesus Christ, not on a variety of religions, but on Christianity, with its many denominations. They came here for the freedom to worship God and not let the government tell them how, to, how they should worship God. They didn't want a state religion anymore. That's why they came here. The chief architect of the Constitution, James Madison, saw these things like this. He said, we have staked the whole future of American civilization, not upon the power of government, far from it. We have stacked the future of all our political institutions upon the capacity of each and all of us to govern ourselves according to the Ten Commandments of God. Maybe that's what we need to bring back to Washington, D.C., huh? You think James Madison could speak that today? Are you kidding me? What would he hear? Separation of church and state, right? You can't say that any longer. They said it all the time. And many people believe it's in our Constitution. It's not. One of the founding fathers, Noah Webster, wrote, The religion which has introduced civil liberty is the religion of Christ and his apostles. To this we owe our free constitution of government. Wow. He was talking, Noah Webster was not talking about coexisting with other religions, right? Not at all. He wasn't talking about uniting all religions together. He was talking about one faith, and that was the faith in Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ has given us liberty, and as we live out our faith accordingly, it brings peace to people and to our nation. Sixth President of the United States, John Quincy Adams, the son of John and Abigail Adams, wrote, The highest glory of the American Revolution was this. It connected in one indissoluble bond the principles of civil government with the principles of Christianity. Brought them together. They work hand in hand. The government does not dictate what the Christian principles are, but the Christian principles guide and direct the government. We've reversed that today, tragically. George Washington, in his farewell address to the nation, wrote this. Our laws and our institutions must necessarily be based upon and embody the teachings of the Redeemer of mankind. It is impossible that it should be otherwise. And in the sense and to this extent, our civilization and our institutions are emphatically Christian. Wow. Again, what about this idea of separation of church and state? It's not legitimate, guys. And they used the letter from Thomas Jefferson, the president of the United States. He wrote a letter back on January 1st, 1802, to the Danbury Baptists. Because the Danbury Baptists believe that 
Thomas Jefferson was going to make another uh, Baptist denomination the state religion. And they didn't want that. And Thomas Jefferson is writing to refute that. That's not what he's going to do. And he talked about, you know, there's a wall of separation between the church and state. And it's a one-directional wall. It keeps the government from running the church, but it makes sure that Christian principles will always stay in government. And we've turned it around today. That was a pretty straightforward statement by Thomas Jefferson, and it was not confusing at all. And yet, they challenged it over and over and over again. In the case versus Reynolds against the United States, 1878, the court pulled out Jefferson's speech in its entirety and confirmed that Jefferson also said that Christian principles were never to be separated from government. Interesting enough, the Supreme Court used Jefferson's speech for the next 15 years to make sure that Christian principles stayed part of the government. And it remained that way until 1947, when for the first time in the Supreme Court's history, the court used only a portion of Jefferson's speech to prove their point of separation of church and state. Isn't that interesting? Way back then, the courts were corrupt. Look at them today. Wow. Their point was, you know, the First Amendment has erected a wall between church and state, and that wall must be kept high and impregnable. So that's what they believe. In fact, in 1958, there was a court case, Bear versus Cal Morgan, and they said this, if this court doesn't stop talking about separation of church and state, someone will think it's part of the Constitution. You ask people today, and they believe it. That's what, exactly what's happened. There is no doubt that our nation was built upon Judeo-Christian principles. And that's why we were such a blessed nation. When you look at our Constitution, how long it's been around, no other nation comes close. No other nation comes close. Why did it last so long? Because it was based upon our Judeo-Christian faith. That's the reason. In fact, we look at civil liberties today and we're losing them, our freedoms, right? And it's interesting because the first legislative act in the colony of Pennsylvania, William Penn, made it very clear about Christianity's link to civil liberties. He said, whereas the glory of almighty God and the good of mankind is the reason and end of government, and therefore government itself is an honorable ordinance of God, and for so as much as it is principally devised and intended by the proper propriety and governor and freemen of Pennsylvania and territories thereunto belonging to make and establish such laws as best preserve true Christian and civil liberty in opposition to all unchristian licentiousness and unjust practices whereby God may have his due, Caesar is due, and the people their due. Now, again, we have touched on this. We could probably spend weeks looking at all the documentation of our Christian heritage. And I think we are blessed because of that. We are starting to see those blessings disappear. Why? 
Well, think about it. This just didn't happen suddenly. I look at these blessings of God like being this long steam locomotive. And it's going down the track. And all of a sudden we turn from God and that locomotive is still going, but it's slowing down. And it takes a while to slow down. And I think we're reaching close to the end. Jesus said in Matthew 12, 25, how do you destroy this nation? And this is from the New Living Translation. Any kingdom divided by civil war is doomed. A town or family splintered by feuding will fall apart. They know exactly what they need to do. How do you destroy this nation and rebuild it into a one world, part of a one world government? By a civil war. You tear it apart and then you have to bring it back together again and the constitution is gone. And that's what we see going on in our, our nation today. A division in this nation, a civil war I think is going to take place. And look at the groups of people that are rising up and fighting against each other. Political parties, gender identification, homosexual lifestyle, races, religions, and the list goes on and on. And the media and political leaders stir the pot, don't they? Think about it. Do we really have a problem with race in this country? I'm not saying that everyone in here didn't have an issue with it. There were people, there's always going to be racists. That's just the reality. But did we have a big problem with that? No, we didn't. But the pot was stirred. And I shared on uh, Sunday in Manitowoc about this. I was watching the Wisconsin Badgers game against Indiana. Um, And I don't watch professional sports anymore just because of their political stance. So I figured I'd watch college sports. That was a mistake. Because the, the woman commentator who was down on the field had this little report. It said, look at how wonderful Madison is. University of Wisconsin. And they were showing all the buildings that were boarded up because they were all destroyed by the rioters. And it was building after building and building. And they had all this graffiti on it. Isn't it wonderful how they're all coming together? Look at the message they're bringing. I'm thinking, What message? A lot of those businesses aren't coming back. They were all kinds of different people that owned those businesses, black, white, Asian, doesn't matter. They were destroyed. They're never coming back. And you're praising that? Do you see how good is evil and evil is good? Do you see how twisted we are? Because we've turned away from God. And the devil loves to divide and conquer. And I think we see that going on. I think they want to remove all proofs of Christianity. They're going to try to do that. You know what they can't remove? Us. <laughs> We're still going to stick out there like a sore thumb. We're going to be a light, and it's going to drive them crazy. That's okay. That's all right. In love, we need to stand for Jesus. I remember when President Obama took office. And he said he was going to fundamentally transform America. And he began that, and it continues on today. We had a reprieve for four years. I think that reprieve may be over. I don't know. We'll see. But we're going to change America. In fact, 
We've seen progressives who have taken over virtually all of America's key institutions for the last two or three generations. That's why we're at where we're at today. They've been trained. And a progressive is a code word for socialism and Marxism. And they're not going to win this war through military action. It doesn't work. But they've infiltrated American culture. And now instead of Americans thinking for themselves, they're being programmed to think as they think. And people laugh at that. But three weeks after, and this is several years ago, President Obama's inauguration speech back on January 2009, Newsweek's cover had the headline. I don't want to freak you out, but listen to the headline they had. We are all socialists now. Really? Really? Pat Buchanan wrote, The arts, cinema, theater, schools, colleges, seminaries, newspapers, magazines, and the new electronic medium, radio, one by one, each had to be captured and converted and politicized into an agency of revolution. Then the people could be solely educated to understand and even welcome the revolution. Absolutely. I mean, the, I don't even watch the news anymore. The, the, back when um, President Trump was first elected, when he, he was, began winning in the election, I was watching NBC News. It was the um, Today Show. And it was showing they, they were still on the air and still doing their thing. And their political analyst came up. And he said, and this is someone who's a newsman, right? He said, we have to win this state, this state, and this state. For who? Hillary Clinton. Well, wait a minute. We have to. Who's the we? You were supposed to be reporting the news. That was the end for me, for watching national news. How ridiculous. How do they accomplish this again? Well, they've taken over everything. But as Pat Buchanan wrote, thus America's children could be conditioned at school to reject their parents' social and moral beliefs as racist, sexist, and homophobic, and conditioned to, be, to embrace a new morality. Don't we see that today? Our kids look at us and they go, are you kidding me? You don't believe in gay marriage? You don't believe in homosexuality? You don't believe in sex before marriage? You don't... Why do you? Because you've been trained. You see, that's why it says in the Bible, train up a child. Right? You, we as parents have to guide them and help them to grow and mature and learn. And our grandchildren as well. It's a huge responsibility. But we've lost it because we let other people raise them. And we haven't trained them. But they did, and they did a great job. Within the Generation Z group, ages 16 through 23, support for socialism increased nearly 10 percentage points over the course of a single year from 40% in 2019 to 49% when this poll was taken in September 2020. Wow. Almost 50% of that age group are for socialism. Do they even know what that's about? No, they don't. But 
they've been trained. And this is the key. You train them when they're young and you've got them for life. Hitler knew that. And he did that with the kids. He trained them up. And did a great job. And I look at people today in America and there is a growing number of people that want the government to control every aspect of their lives. They don't want to be responsible for their lives. I'm like, what's the matter? You? Are you crazy? The government can't even run the post office and you want them to run your life. Wake up. And I think the idea is we think that everything's free. They'll just take care of me. Are you kidding me? It's not like they're in the basement of the White House printing money. The money that they get is from us that are working. And that money finally runs out. Venezuela was a very prosperous nation until socialism took over. And now they're eating garbage from garbage cans. How sad. Let me share this with you. This is from atheist Richard Dawkins. And listen to what he's claiming. He claims that teaching children to accept their family's religious beliefs is child abuse. He considers this form of abuse to be more devastatingly and permanently harmful than sexual abuse. His remarks returned to the headlines after he reiterated these claims uh, at April 21st at the Chipping uh, Norton Literary Festival. Child abuse. It's teaching your child about Christianity, the gospel message, is more dangerous than sexually abusing your child. Really. But you see, these are very influential people. They have degrees. They're so smart. But God says, professing to be wise, they've become fools. And if any common person would think, they'd say, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. What harm has Christianity brought? It's actually elevated the lives of of people and nations. But you keep saying this message, and people will start to believe it. I think we've seen over the years these changes very slowly coming on the scene. But now... It's happening quicker. Um, how do we get people to side with us? Well, you, you create an environment of stress, of discontent, of fear, of anger, and so on. Have we seen that in 2020? Absolutely we have. You know, everyone's like, oh, I can't wait for 2021. I'm thinking, yeah, you, in 2021 you're going, man, I wish we were back in 2020, Right? David Capellan wrote, such radical change cannot be accomplished while Americans are calm, happy, content, and grateful for their blessings. Citizens must be unhappy and stressed out. Indeed, widespread popular discontent has always been the required fuel for the leftist transformational engine. Isn't that interesting? What happened? Donald Trump was doing wonderful, right? The economy is doing great. Everything is great. What happened? COVID. And it changed everything. And now people that were excited, that were working, that everything was going well, went down the toilet. 
And look what happened. There's other things that happen with this election, but I'm not going to get into that. He goes on to say, just reading a few pages in Saul Alinsky's leftist playbook, Rules for Radicals, one encounters repeated confirmation that the very heart of radical change is keeping the populace angry, encouraging their grievances, stroking their resentments, and making sure they are constantly or continually upset. That is the primary psychological dynamic of community organizing, and since 2009, America has been led by a community organizer-in-chief and a longtime Astor practitioner and instructor in Alinsky's far-left agitation methods. Absolutely. And again, it's dividing our nation. And the plans are working beautifully right now. You know, this fear is a huge thing because it's used to control our minds. And I realize that some people may not agree with that. But I'll tell you what, even as Christians, we could be so focused on all that's going on that we lose sight of the Lord. I mean, I can tell you, well, I can't tell you, but I get so many video clips for me to watch. If I watched every single one of them, I would never sleep, and I would never be able to study for Bible studies. And I just let them go. Because, you know, there is one source of truth, and that's God. Isn't it interesting? There's a lot of truth out there, but there's a lot of lies out there, and they're all mixed together. How do you know? I don't have to wonder. It's right here in his word. I can trust what he says. But this whole mind thing is fascinating to me. A British psychiatrist wrote this. Remember back in 1999, um, the year 2000 was getting close. Well, this is actually, hang on one second. I'll, I'll get to that in a, what this writer or the psychiatrist wrote. But remember what was going to happen that year. Everything was going to fall apart. You know, the clocks were going to hit midnight. All the computers were going to shut down. The nuclear weapons were going to be launched. You know, you couldn't buy fuel. You couldn't buy food. Everything was going to go down the toilet. And, the, you know, it's kind of sad, but a lot of Christians jumped on this bandwagon and, you know, they were selling bags of beans. And I have no problem being prepared, but I'll tell you what, if I'm going to have to eat beans for the next six months, just kill me now, okay? Just take me home, Lord. I'm ready. Just take me home, right? And I'm sure some people still have all those beans because what happened at midnight? (laughs) Nothing happened. Why are we so fearful? Is God in control? I'm not saying bad things won't happen, but I'm saying why are we looking at all these things and blocking out Almighty God who's in total control of our lives? In fact, I had to do a study back in, at Calvary and Manitowoc because so many were so fearful about what was going on. William Sargent wrote this. He said, whoever can be roused either to fear or anger by a politician is more easily led to accept the desired pattern of cooperation, even though this may violate his normal judgment. Isn't that interesting? They can get us to change what we would normally do by fear or anger. Wow, they're playing mind games with us. Where is our mind to be focused upon? The Lord. Don't let them push your buttons because they're good. I mean, 
I'll be honest with you, you know, there are times that I'm flipping through the channels and there's the news and they'll say something that I am ready to take the TV and throw it out the window, but that would cost me a lot of money, so I don't do that. What do they do? They pushed a button on me. Hey, Lord, you're in control. He continued to write, the evidence shows how various types of belief can be implanted in many people after brain function has been sufficiently disturbed by accidentally or deliberately induced fear, anger, or excitement. Of the results caused by such disturbances, the most common one is temporarily temporarily impaired judgment and heightened suggestibility. Its various group manifestations are sometimes classed under the heading of herd instinct and appear most spectacularly in wartime during severe epidemics and in all similar periods of common danger, which increase anxiety and so individual and mass suggestibility. And that's what they're doing. I mean, look at these riots. I I guarantee you, most of those people at those riots weren't there to, to break windows but you just had a few, to stir them up, to do, break a window, and you have a herd instinct. Now they're all doing it, right? Very interesting. Author Dinesh D'Souza recants his debate with Jesse Jackson at Stanford University, and David Capellan wrote regarding this. This is what he wrote. When asked to identify an actual racism in today's America, Jackson couldn't give any evidence that contemporary racism had kept his children down. However, as de Sosa, Jackson countered that precisely the absence of evidence is what worried him the most. Jackson's argument was that racism, once overt, had now become covert. In other words, racism hadn't decreased in the slightest, but now it worked in ever more subtle ways to de- deny African Americans their share of the American dream. Got that? The less racism there is in America, the more racism there is. Are we listening, America? Are we listening to what they're saying? Less racism means there's more. How do we buy into that stuff? Do you realize that the IRS, as of 2015, now this is almost six years ago, had 74,608 pages of tax codes. Do you think you comply with every one of them? Of course you don't. Oh my gosh, we should be fearful. No. Look at sexuality. You know, it wasn't that long ago that marriage was between a man and a woman. But look at how it's changed. And if you challenge this idea of men marrying men and women marrying women, you're put down. You are hateful. You are intolerant. And they're going to try and conform you to their ways. And again, cause chaos. In Sal Alinsky's leftist playbook, Rules for Radicals, listen to what he's written. Any revolutionary change must be preceded by a passive, affirmative, non-challenging attitude towards change among the mass of our people. They must feel so frustrated, so defeated, so lost, so futureless in the prevailing system that they are willing to let go of the past and chance the future. I find that amazing. We have no more hope. And I'm willing to put my trust in anyone or anything that may be able to help, even though I don't even know what they're about. 
He goes on, a revolutionary organizer must shake up the prevailing patterns of their lives, agitate, create disenchantment and discontent with the current values to produce, if not a passion for change, at least a passive, affirmative, non-challenging climate. So we are to feel so frustrated, so defeated, so lost, that we are going to turn to anyone who promises us anything and everything for change. We're willing to go down that path. Isn't that how the Antichrist is going to come to power, right? Oh, we want someone to help us. And they will usher in the Antichrist. We as Christians need to be careful here. Because again, this is a spiritual battle. We need to put on the whole armor of God. We need to stand strong. We need to withstand the wiles of the devil. So if you are feeling agitated, fearful by what's going on, This is free of charge, this counseling session. Start reading the Bible. Because I guarantee you, as you start reading the word of God, his spirit is going to comfort your heart. You know, the sun, I think, is some 93 million miles in diameter. It's huge, right? But do you know what? Because I'm such a massive guy. I can blot the sun out with my fist if I put it really close to my face, close to my eyes, completely blotted out. You know what I can also do? Is I can blot out my God by being overwhelmed by what's before my eyes. Be careful. They're trying to stir, stir up the people, but they should not stir up Christians. Our eyes have to be on Jesus. Lord, what would you have me to do in this situation? What do you want me to say to this person? You see? And I, I again, truly believe that there is a civil war coming upon America. And we have to be willing to stand up and fight, not with physical weapons, but with spiritual weapons that God has given to us. Prayer. The sword of the Spirit. Put on the whole armor of God. And... Yeah, it's, it can be very destructive. But you know what? We have one advantage, only one, and that's God. And that's a great advantage to have, right? Do you ever think that God is pacing back and forth in heaven going, oh my gosh, what am I going to do now? I did not see that coming. Are you kidding me? Do you think he looked at these elections going, wow, I didn't know they were going to mess with those ballots. That just, oh my gosh. Are you kidding me? He knows exactly what's happening. Can we trust in him? We need to. Maybe it's time for judgment to happen upon America. I don't know. I pray not. But it's possible. Are we willing to stand? David Capellan again wrote, ancient Chinese general Sun Tzu famously observed, if you know the enemy and know yourself, you need not fear the results of a hundred battles. But America's enemies for the past several generations have specialized in two big things, deceiving us about who and what they really are, but also confusing us to who we really are and what we really stand for. That being the primary purpose of the left subversion of our educational system and news and entertainment media. 
It's fair to say after two or three generations of secular leftist worldview being constantly implanted and reinforced throughout every level of our society, that tens of millions of us are just profoundly confused, conflicted, and corrupted. Worse, many of us, having been tricked into rebelling against our own values, now defend our confusion and the corruption as though it were our God-given mission. Thus, we are confronted with the current civil war between two Americas. On one side, we have those who basically still reverence God, common sense, reason, morality, natural law, and the laws of economics and of human nature in general, the proven principles of Western civilization. On the other side are people who are confused, intimidated, or brainwashed, or else so covetous of power that they've abandoned all principles for the sake of that power. The singular, singular but very real blessing in all this madness is that suffering often causes people to finally wake up. And once we're awake and paying attention, we have a fighting chance, with God's help, of redeeming ourselves and our nation. To put it plainly, what we must do is nothing less than what Gramsci and the other neo-Marxists did, except we need to head in the other direction. They took us away from reason, responsibility, morality, and reverence for life and for the creator of life. We need to go back toward these foundational realities that underline our great civilization by embarking on a long march back through these institutions. We need to take back not just our government, but every one of our precious institutions that was stolen from us while we weren't paying attention to the secret battle being waged against us in broad daylight. Absolutely. You know, apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ, apart from that saving faith, this nation is in trouble. Any nation is. And I know people would disagree with that. Oh, no, we'd be fine without God. Are you kidding me? There is no way. In fact, several years ago, there was a group of people in Missouri that founded a town and named it Liberal, interestingly enough. And they were so extremely liberal that churches were not allowed. And in their boom literature, they boasted that it was the only town of its size in the United States without a priest, a preacher, church, God, Jesus, hell, or devil. But Elder Clark Braddon wrote up an account for the post-dispatch showing that there was little else than hell and devil there, that it was a den of iniquity, that its hotels were brothels and virtue almost unknown. The account was so terrible that they had Brandon arrested for criminal libel and sued him and the post-dispatch for $25,000 in damages. After the prosecution had presented all of its evidence, the case was submitted to the jury without rebuting evidence by the defendant, and he was acquitted by the jury. The civil suit for damages was dismissed by demand of the plaintiffs who paid all the costs. You see, liberal was a failure, and even lifelong unbelievers who had moved there for its advantages, they left in disgust. One of them struck the keynote when he said, an infidel surrounded by Christians may spout his infidelity, and the community may be able to stand it, but it will never do to establish a society with infidelity at its basis. Absolutely. I mean, think about the preserving force in this nation today or in this world today. It is the church of Jesus Christ empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's the restraining force that Paul spoke about in 2 Thessalonians. And when the church is removed, when that restraining force is removed, look out, right? 
You see, we still are an influence. But man, can you imagine what this world is going to be like when we're gone? There's a battle between the light and the darkness. And make no mistake about it, the darkness tries to extinguish the light. Why? Because their deeds are exposed by the light. They don't like it. And Americans, well, how many Americans are dependent upon the government today? For basics. According to recent released Census Bureau data and Heritage Foundation calculations, the number is 128.8 million Americans. They directly are receiving aid and they depend on the government for their daily consumption of things. 41.3% of the U.S. population as of July 2011. I wonder what that number is today. In fact, the Wall Street Journal said the number is even higher, 49.1%. But here we are, 2020, where's that number? And they're doing such a good job of having people depend on the government for their livelihood from birth until death. Again, I don't want the government doing that. I want to be able to make my own decisions as an American. And I think, and I know, we are moving towards a socialist Marxist type of government because that is part of the one world government. All you have to do, go look at what the United Nations is saying. Go look at what the Pope is saying. Go look at what world leaders are saying. Capitalism is evil. It's bad. We got to get rid of it. Are you kidding me? Look at what capitalism has done in our country. Are there bad people? Yeah, there's always bad people out there. That's not the issue. The issue is socialism destroys people's lives. It gives them no hope to do anything. In Ephesians 5, verses 13 through 18, Paul wrote this, but all things are exposed, are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise. But understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. In other words, Paul's saying, wake up, guys. It is time to wake up. The light is, you need to shine brightly in these days. Stand in the gap. Be the watchman on the wall. And redeem the time. Because the days are evil. We know that the days are evil, right? So redeem the time. I mean, it just makes sense for us. I don't know about you. But for me, it's the word of God and the spirit of God that guides me. You know, I've been going through some different things in my life and I had some, just some struggles I was going through, a lot of things going on. And can you believe it? You know, and I'm like four to six weeks ahead in my messages on Sunday mornings. And every message that I was giving 
It was like the Lord was nailing me. Everyone, I'm like, you know, the first time it was like, oh, come on, Lord, I don't want to give, come on. All right, all right, all right. And it was just for me. And then the next one, and then the next one. Okay, Lord, I, I think you're trying to get my attention here. And that's what the Lord does. He's trying to awaken us to take a look at our walk. How are we walking? What are we doing? You know, Jeremiah 6.16, Thus says the Lord, stand in the ways and see and ask for the old paths, where the good way is, and walk in it. Then you will find rest for your souls. Maybe that's why we're not resting so much, because we're not going back to the old paths. What are the old paths? It's the word of God. It's just, you mean, you're that simplistic? Yeah, I am very simplistic. I'm not a complicated person. I need something really simple to help me. And it is God and his word. The sad part in Jeremiah, the people said, we will not. Wow. May we not do that. Because our rest and peace are found in the Lord. In fact, Jesus said in, in John 16, 33, these things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. Do we see that? Absolutely. But be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. Hallelujah. You know, are we that generation that's closing out church history? Possibly. But even if we're not, we should be so excited because we're another day closer to the Lord's return. When is he coming? I don't know, but it's another day closer. It's our blessed hope. But my blessed hope is not who the next president of the United States is. It's the return of Jesus Christ. And in between all that, Lord, guide me through this mess that's out there. And help me live for you. French writer, and I'm going to probably screw up his French name, Alex de Tocqueville said this after he visited America in 1831. And listen to what he said about America, this non-religious nation. He said, I sought for the greatness of the United States in her commodious harbors, her ample rivers, her fertile fields, and boundless forests. And it wasn't there. I saw for it in her rich minds, her vast world commerce, her public school system, and in her institutions of higher learning, and it was not there. I looked for it in her democratic congress, in her matchless constitution, and it was not there. Not until I went into the churches of America and heard her pulpits flame with righteousness did I understand the secret of her genius and power. America is great, Because America is good. And if America ever ceases to be good, America will cease to be great. What is he saying? He's saying it's the church's responsibility to bring forth the gospel message, to preach with passion the word of God. So it ministers to the people. And we've lost sight of that. We are now have become an entertainment center in churches and we don't preach the word of God anymore. We don't touch on subjects that are Make people uncomfortable. Hey, it's the whole counsel of God. Go back to the old past. The things of God. Like I said, Patrick Henry, what he wrote, it cannot be emphasized too strongly or too often that this great nation was founded not by religionists, but by Christians. Not on religions, but on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And John Jay the first chief justice of the Supreme Court, one of the three men most responsible for the Constitution, wrote, 
Providence has given to our people the choice of their rulers, and it is the duty as well as the privilege and interest of a Christian nation to select and prefer Christians for their rulers. Could you imagine if he said that on the Today Show today? Oh my gosh, there would be an uproar, right? But he was right. We Please do not forget your roots, what this nation was founded upon. Proclaim it proudly, let people know, but also the most important thing is let them see Jesus because that is what will save not only the people but a nation. We try to save the nation without saving the people and it's not going to work. You save the people. You change their hearts. Almost 50% of Young people are for a socialist nation. They need to be changed. They need to understand what socialism is about, and they need to understand who Jesus is. That's the most important thing. Can you imagine if 50% of them became Christians, what that would do in America? Can it happen? With men, this is impossible. With God, all things are possible. Like I said, civil war is coming, and are we ready for it? And I'll, let me just read this from David Capellan before I close. One of my favorite biblical sayings is what Jesus said to Pontius Pilate. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Is there some reason we're supposed to be doing something different? I don't think so. It's clear that people of conscience cannot advance the cause of liberty and morality by resorting to the intimidation tactics of Sololinsky or deliberately creating crisis like the government does or committing criminal acts as some community organizing groups do or telling outrageous lies like so many politicians. But that's okay. Truth is enough because when properly honed and targeted, it is more than sufficient to annihilate all of their grand seductions, absolutely. Hopefully, by the grace of God, we can once again become one nation under God, right? As Paul said, finally, my brethren, be stead or be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, because we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. May we do that. Stand strong in the Lord, having done all that we can to stand strong in him and shine brightly for Jesus, understanding that we're in a spiritual battle and we need to reach out to this lost and dying world. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for giving us the power by your spirit to win these battles. The battle for the souls of people, for their eternity, where they're going. May that be the passion of our heart in the days we're living in. It was the passion of the early church and it should be the passion of the end times church, the days we're living in. Lord, Empower us by your spirit. Fill us, overflow us, and use us in such a powerful way that lives will be touched. Lives will turn to Jesus. People will turn to Jesus. Help us, Lord, to walk faithfully 
to shine brightly for you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.